Welcome to Movie Time Machine, where each week we pick a movie from the past and relive it in the present. This week's movie, Stand By Me, released in the summer of 1986, directed by Rob Reiner, based on the Stephen King novel, The Body. I'm one of your hosts, Chad, surrounded by my other Time Machine host, Chris, Jamie, and Lee. How are you doing, fellas? Very Hello. good, thanks. Happy to be here. All right, first we're going to start off with a quick synopsis of the movie, if you want to kick that off, Chris. I'd be happy to. So this is coming from IMDb. So this is Stand By Me from 1986. After the death of a friend, a writer reaccounts a childhood journey to find the body of a missing boy. In all our lives, there's a fall from innocence, a time after which we are never the same. It happened in the summer of 1959, a long time. So let's start off with the intro. Characters are introduced to us um, kind of slowly. I kind of like how um, it's the story with Gordy and they all meet at the treehouse. But it really kind of kicks off when Vern comes in and he hears that the story about the guys finding the dead body. Off of that, Chad, that's one thing I wanted to mention right off the top that's yeah. really cool about King. And I think we take him for granted. Maybe not anymore. Yeah. But I, I remember there was a, you know, what's the word I maybe an everyday kind of brushing off of Stephen King's stories. And I think about Vern finding the pennies, the story within a story of Vern under the porch, essentially, how do we hear about this dead body? Like this is the key event that drives the movie. So how do we hear about it? And it would be really easy to just, you know, tell it any other way. Vern was under the porch, you know, nothing about his motivations, how he got there. But from King, we get, you know, he has his pennies in his jar and makes himself a treasure map, digs his pennies, forgets about it. So now every day he's under the porch, and now suddenly we know about Vern as a character, and we have our motivation for the entire story. So I just kind of wanted to recognize King, I guess, in that way. Um, right. That story of Vern just putting his stuff under the porch and really gets us going into the movie itself. I think that's a motif that happens throughout as well. If you look at the be the very beginning, like how this story and movie begins is you see the main character gordy um reading a newspaper and he sees that his childhood friend has passed away and so again you've got that story that begins it and then that makes him start thinking about it and then he starts writing we find out at the end this story that then kind of walks us through um the experience of looking for the, the the missing boy and the dead boy and then throughout you you see the stories within the stories you get that again with the the pennies things um you get that later on when gordy's telling the story to his friends around the campfire and it seems like this is a motif that we see often you guys want to go see a dead body so after they they're in the treehouse and like they're talking about it and, and gordy's start is reflecting on um, was that like earlier in the summer about his brother passing away was killed in the car accident um, then there we kind of get the story of kind of how his dad is like how come you can't have friends like your brother why can't you have friends like Denny's dad they're okay sure they are a thief and two Phoebes yeah like that scene when uh, <clears throat> Gordy is looking for it was his hat I believe Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and, uh, he's asked, no, it's his no, canteen. Canteen, canteen yep. that was it. Yes, uh, you know, for the trip, and uh, he's asking. Basically, the mom and dad they're outside. The mom just ignores them, just continues to fold. But you just you look at her face, and she is just 
she's something's you know it's heartbreaking you know and then you find out about his brother and uh, well his dad does help him find it but not without a price of digging at his friends you know mm-hmm. just basically calling his friends that he's going to go on this trip with course they don't really know that he's they're going on this trip <laughs> mm-hmm. just going camping but uh yeah it's uh uh he calls them uh stupid or no he says one of the friends is uh, a thief and the others are phoebes so i had never heard that term before phoebes yeah can we get a like 50s dictionary for so so jargon so i i looked up on the internet but it's (laughs) it's just a foolish or stupid person you know is is actually the definition for it yeah i like i think one of the things that always sticks out to me about this movie is just how how adult the the actual like nature of the movie is you think about like the things that they talk about and the things that they work through and and even the conversations that I feel like the boys have together I think about the conversation between River Phoenix's um character um Chris and then Gordy as well Will Wheaton's character where um basically River Phoenix is talking to to Will about being a writer and how like he has grown up Chris Chambers his character has grown up in this household where like nobody gives a shit. He doesn't really have parents that are invested and stuff like that. And he feels like he has this destiny of like, I'm just going to stay in this town. It's going to be, you know, I'm going to grow up just like the rest of my family. And he sees that Gordy has this gift and he like, doesn't want him to squander it. And these kids are 11, 12 years old. And they're, they're having these large conversations about like how, how shitty their life is or how, what their background is and like how they don't want themselves to squander it and they want to see themselves get out. And I think even that is just like such a mature subject matter for a kid of that age. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I feel like going through the the death of a, of a, of a family member of a brother too, it's just, I think they've done a great job of making that feel accessible and feel realistic. Yeah. Even going along those same lines, it's uh, I, I look at the contrast of the kids, the 12 year olds, to their older brothers and that gang mm-hmm. it's like they totally just gave out yeah i mean they're driving around in cars like smashing mailboxes mailbox yeah. with their mm-hmm. baseball bats you know and driving drunk and just basically playing chicken with uh, delivery vans mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so you know the kids themselves they're i don't know if uh they're kind of, they're at the point where they're either going to decide to be like that or they're going to go the other route and decide to go and do something with their life. Yeah, that's a really neat um, idea because I didn't think about that either, how they really have that already um, to see, like, what... Like, you have a road already set in front of you based on the gang um, of your siblings and seeing what they do. And again, like, they... Yeah, they seem very ruthless and very... Um, meandering, not really sure what they're doing with their their lives, and do we do we choose that or do we go the road less traveled? You know, one scene really kind of disturbed me with uh, Kiefer Sutherland, his character uh, Ace, Ace, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, is the scene where Gordy's hat is taken. Oh yeah, where he tackles him. And he like tackles and then uh, he, cigarettes. But then he tackles Chris, throws him to the ground. He's gonna burn Chris. But, yeah, yeah, and. I didn't realize this. That's his older brother. 
eyeball. That's his older brother standing there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Le- mm-hmm. yeah. Letting this happen. Yep. I, you know, it's interesting. That's, and he's just like not even doing anything. That's but, co- but yeah. he just continues to be a bully to the two younger boys. Right. You know, so he's already. It's the same thing with Vern. That's why he's so scared that they'll find out about it because, you know, you don't, maybe you think my brother's going to kick the shit out of me. You don't really believe him. And then you see that scene and yeah. it becomes pretty clear that, okay, yeah, he might kick the shit out of you if yeah. he finds out you were under the porch and listening. Mm-hmm. You know, what about the look that Gordy gives Ace and Eyeball as they're walking away with the hat? Mm-hmm. And Chris has already you know, started walking away and then Gordy's just like, just has that look like he's going to kill him. You know, just, yeah. you can just see it in his eyes. Yeah, that was pretty powerful. Gordy's character in the movie is really interesting to me because I, I still tr- like I'm curious how he fits into that group. Because, again, like you look at like the brothers who like the two older brothers that are in the gang, um, you can kind of see like maybe why the um, why Chris Chris's character and Vern's character are kind of maybe a little less like a little more rough around the edges what have you but i look at like and you can see the same with um cory feldman's character teddy again like he has had this really like terrible upbringing has had a a dad who is kind of like known as the town drunk or kind of town crazy person like Mm -hmm. i can understand how those three maybe get together but then like gordy to me just doesn't make sense he has a, a brother that's an all-star jock it seems like his family is well to do he's got both parents still together they're seem really well adjusted um so his his place in in the gang just has always felt a little bit strange to me is it maybe though because he is the writer he is like the creative like storyteller and i think that is that something that's because again i'm just thinking this is like a small town story and what usually happens in small towns is usually get like the losers like the the gang right or you get the townies that just do like the job that was handed down to them from like their families or they worked at the local factory and it's just like you kind of just go through the same cycle over and over again so i just kind of see like um gordy as like being like this writer the storyteller kind of being like versus at the time when i think a lot of those your your career is probably going to be like some kind of manufacturing job or like retail or something like that. It's kind of my thinking on it, but do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah. Well, and I kind of, I guess I related to Gordy the most if I had to pick a character, um, precisely for that reason, like you said, Chris, he's, you know, he, it doesn't make sense. Um, with his upbringing, it is different and better until it's suddenly not. And his brother gets Mm -hmm. killed and he sees parents that he, hadn't before and that completely flips on him and i think for me too the what i relate to most is like you said lee when he's staring down those bullies that would be me you know as a kid that that was me i wasn't the first to you know fight back with my fists but i would bring that in and internalize it and just do you know because and i think that's what the writer does too they draw it in rather Mm -hmm. than unleash it out Right. They do in their writing, but when they do, it's more calculated and more impactful and more dangerous, which is why, you know, at the end with the gun, I, I thought he was going to shoot him. Like when he said, I'll just you ace, I believed him. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. 
And I think yeah. Ace did too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, getting back to uh, Gory's fit in this, you know, the gang of his friends, I think the way I looked at it, the scene where they're at the dinner table and he's having the flashback and uh, Gordy's dad, mom and dad are talking about Dennis's football career, you know, where his next steps are. They're just totally talking. And then Gordy, or uh, sorry, Dennis says to the father, well, Gordy wrote a story, but the dad just ignores it. He just continues to go on about his son, Dennis. So I, f- I think maybe he just feels ignored, mm-hmm. you know, so, yeah. you know, he just, he doesn't feel that he fits in, you know, with the, the football crowd and stuff like that. So, yeah, as being a writer, you know, he's not he's not really just into that stuff. He's more into, um, you know, more of the writing and English, you know, and doing, yeah. you, know, you know, reading, stuff right. like that. But it seems like in a small town, too, that athletics have such high importance that maybe – you're basically the star of the town when, you know, like Dennis yeah, was, yeah, yep, you know, yep. for several different, you know, like stops along yeah. the way. I mean, you know, these, you know, the shopkeepers yeah. just like, well, I remember your brother, Dennis, he was awesome at this and yep. this, blah, 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 you know. And what do you do? I'm a writer. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Whatever. Fuck writing, oh, but right. your, your brother was totally awesome. Yeah. At throwing that right. football, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> that's know? a trope too, that you yeah, see in a yeah, lot of stuff yeah. like varsity blues or Friday night lights, all those kind of things where like in those small towns especially in the south where like there's it's a one sport thing and it generally tends to focus around football where like they run the town like especially if they're good um it's really interesting yeah because i I was going to go back to that that scene in the shop too where gordy goes to buy the food and the first thing the the town or the the storekeep asks is hey aren't you whomever whatever boy dennis yeah dennis's brother and it's just yeah, again, he, I feel like he never gets what's his. Yeah, and, you know, and he totally misses his brother, you know, and he's constantly reminded how great his brother is. Well, he already knows that, you know. Yeah. Already, you know, he knows that and stuff, but, you know, and he's 12, he doesn't really understand. His mom and dad haven't really talked about it, obviously, because <laughs> they're just ignoring. Just shut down. Yeah. <laughs> just shut yeah. down and ignoring everything. So. Yeah, that mom is vacant. Yeah. All right, so after this scene, I think next is where they go and they're hanging out in the junkyard, right? So I, f- I forget what. So they're all they're all meeting there, and like, why does is it like Gordy has to like or somebody has to go and get like supplies or food? Or... Basically, when they're on the tracks heading um, heading towards the dead body, they realize that nobody has brought brought anything. Anything. Vern was supposed to bring it, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so, idea. Yeah. yeah. So basically they realize, well, shit, we're going to need something. Um, so yeah, they come across the, uh, the junkyard. They felt like this was maybe a good place to stop, to take a rest. Um, and I think also part of it was that it wasn't too far from the, the general store. Okay. Yeah. Right. They also refilled um, canteens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So after that, we are, again, like, so they're crossing the uh, tracks or crossing the bridge. Again, and that's where we have, like, the, the rundown from the train where, uh, I don't know if there's anything special going on there except for Vern trips and drops his water bottle, right? And, like, he's going to yeah. go down the... <laughs> I've, I've got a little bit as a yeah. former oh. railroader. I, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a little bit about this, um, and... This scene actually makes far more sense to me than Teddy staring down the train. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's different in the 50s because they were 
probably not running diesel yet. Those probably were steamers, right. which were harder to stop, which makes sense. But I can tell you now, if you're running a main line and you see a kid on the track, you're stopping immediately as soon as you see that kid. And I guess it depends on what you're carrying. You know, if you got hazardous chemicals, that's different. But, you know, stopping right away. However, the bridge is something completely different. And, um, yeah, that it just it heightened the danger for me too because there yeah there's no way that train stopping it goes backwards and forwards and they got a full head of steam so right. you better get out of the way right I've stalled out on bridges um, Hoffman Avenue swing bridge goes over the Mississippi and the bridge swings um, open to let barges through so every time you know the barge passes they have to swing it back to lock it back in and it's probably like a 10 minute deal before you get the go ahead to cross the bridge and i remember there was one time it didn't lock up correctly you know and so they had to pull our crew off the train and shove it back so they could get the bridge back in order but we had to walk you know across the remaining length of the bridge and i can tell you in we had guardrails without it sprinting with a full head of steam away from a train is just a pretty pretty cool scene for me yeah, it, it was really cool for me, too, because uh, in Faribault, we had two trestles. We had right. one that was actually had the ballast in it, and then we had the other high one. And it was it was kind of on a curve, too, so you didn't really know if a train kinda was almost, coming through. It almost was like the same setup as in it, this it, movie. Uh, you it's know, like there's that, that turn where you don't yeah, – there's not, not ki- mountains or anything like no, that. But it's, no, it's, but it's that the way it turns. Like you can't see if, if yeah. the train's coming through. And those trains direction. would come through pretty fast, too. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a really yeah. fun montage where they're talking about like, is Goofy a dog? <laughs> like, yeah, right, right. like, I know, like, like it's really like, deep. And yeah, like, I thought it was but, like in like the the line just before that was like, you know, stuff that like is so meaningful at the time, but like it really means nothing. Like, but it was like when you're 12 years old, like these are the most important conversations you'll have ever had. Right. Um, and then just to see how mundane and banal they were was really interesting. I, I thought that was a really fun montage. That's a Reddit thread now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that right. Super totally. important deep dive. Totally. Yeah. Yep. I think that was. That's that... also the scene where they do the story, right? At the end. Oh, yes. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yep. This is where, where they, they ask Gordy to tell the story of. Uh, what's the kid's name? Lardass. Lardass. Yeah, what was his name? No, that was his it was name. Lardass. He had a name. He no. Did, I don't... He did have a name. No, it's just I don't Lardass. remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just, I never, and we, I think we should get into this a little bit, but like I never loved that story. And I like, I think they do a good job of like, that is absolutely a story that a 12 year old would, would tell. Um, and I also understand the, the portion of like driving home the narrative and the idea that Gordy is a writer and he's like the creative one in the group and, and all that. But like, I feel like, if that story was not in this movie and they just cut it, I would I would feel like nothing like I I didn't lose anything. How do others feel? I was just wondering if uh, it doesn't get into Gordy's character a little bit just by telling the story. It's almost like a revenge story mm-hmm. against uh, people that wronged Lardass hmm. oh, like yeah. the whole time, you know, and then he gets his. He gets his uh, revenge. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, with the, with the coming up with the plan and doesn't really care if he wins the pie eating contest. And 
But everyone's cheering him on. Lord S, yep. Lord yep. S, Lord S, Lord S. Yep. On his fifth pie, you know, and then the former pie eating champion like threatens trip, him, trips him on the way up. Oh, to the yeah. Stage. Right, right. But he, <laughs> he like threatens him too, like behind the stage. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? And he was the first one to get it. too. Again, another another adult like threatening. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. Oh, it's that a theme throughout. Right. It yeah. Is. Yeah. It, I, OK. Yeah. I I wouldn't say. I like the trick. I like the scene itself, as we talked about kind of before, the story within a story, because I was completely sucked in. Like, I was at the fair, at the pie contest, mm-hmm. forgot about the boys. So I like that. The story itself, yeah, yeah I could take it or leave it. No, it it yeah. could simply have been a different story. But I I like your you idea know. with it it being more of a telltale sign for, for Gordy's character, because you think, too, like, Gordy's hanging out with the so-called losers of the... Um, of the school or of his grade or whatever, and like again, like he's the the one that you know is kind of sticking up for these these kids. And you look at the the final scene too, where he's the one who again ends up like being the protagonist and the hero and sticking up for like the the people who can't stick up for themselves. Um, I think that's a fair fair theory. I like that a lot. I think that makes a lot of sense. All right. So oh yeah. How about the how about the whole scene where they are they're standing guard because they're scared of all oh, the like, wolves and yeah. the crickets and everything else yeah <laughs> with Vern I think that that's actually my favorite part that's when Chris tells Gordy about the milk money right yep. oh yeah yep. that's I think that's my favorite scene because that Chris like you were saying they they're dealing with these complex um, issues for kids their age and kind of speaking above their age and that's why that scene really pops for me because it's Chris realizing just how fucked up adults are. And that's like the childhood in him was like, I didn't think that was possible that mm-hmm. um, Mrs. Yeah. What's her name yeah. kept the milk money for herself. Yeah. And well, yeah. that's what's gut wrenching is he learned his lesson and copped to it. And, you know, but there was no absolution. You know, he yeah. instead learned a different lesson. Th- th- that's such an interesting dichotomy, too, like of just the idea of I did something wrong and then I. Yeah, I, I tried to find redemption by giving it back and then to see the 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 adult who's supposed to be the one that is like teaching us right and wrong right like they're the ones who are supposed to help us navigate the world until we're able to kind of create our our moral compass and and to have him at that young of an age see that that adult do it like what does that also say about like like what is he going to do next time and like how does that impact the way that he he decision makes um in the future for those kind of things i mean he could be cynical I mean, just right now. Yeah. I mean, but he's not. So he, I, I really don't, I don't understand where he gets that, where he yeah. does, where he doesn't have that cynicism. There's a grounded. So maybe Gordy's like that grounding force for him. Mm-hmm. But he does become a lawyer, right? He does. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Chamber. Yep. So after this, they're, they're on the way to Ray Brower's body, but they cross like the, like the swamp or like the the lake or the pond or whatever yeah, i think it was like a swampy whatever thing. and they yeah. don't think it's that deep and it is and they get across and like the leeches scene <laughs> right? mm-hmm. well i like to i think like part of the reason that they have all these leeches 
around them is because they didn't just immediately go across. Then Teddy started yeah. like playing and then right. like taking like taking everybody else and like dunking them and like those kind of things. Whereas if they had just gone across, would they have had those mini leeches? But yeah, the leeches scene for me is as a as a kid i mean i remember seeing this on like tbs or tnt all the time right and that was the scene that was like always the most iconic and memorable for me it was like yeah i hear you there that was the scene that i always think about when it's when i think it's stand by me for a stephen king story that's i can't think of any other moments of horror really but a leech on your dick is horrifying yeah 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 that's I mean, all I got. It's iconic when he, yeah, pulls it off and you just see, like, the spats of blood and he, like, passes out. <laughs> Oof. I, I just crack up at that. He just passes <laughs> out. Right? <laughs> In his grundies. Straight back. <laughs> all right, so right after that, we have the scene where they're finding Ray Brower's body. Um, so when they get there and immediately afterward, this is when Ace, right, and the gang, they show up. And there's a confrontation with Ace. Um, it's Gordy, right? Pulls out the gun, mm-hmm. threatens Ace. Um, they have like the standoff. Should, this, yeah. Well, I was gonna say, should we? Because they have an argument before this. Chris wants to go back. Yeah, it's between Gordy and Chris, yep. and I think Gordy Gordy's mad. They're all ch- chit-chatting. Gordy's by himself by the tree. Um, Chris comes over and talks to Gordy, and yeah, basically Gordy says, no, we've made it this far. We're finishing yep. this. Okay, right. And I, I think this is kind of the crux of the movie, I think, this argument, and then mm-hmm. Gordy deciding to go. Yeah. I think he's deciding to go, even if the other three don't go. Yeah, right. Well, I... Th- I think, too, this is, like, trying to illustrate, like, the mood is changing a lot in this scene, and it's getting really heavy, and I think, like, the idea as a kid, when, at the beginning of this movie, to see a dead body is, like, it's going to be really cool, like, we can't wait, it's very, like, um, very light, if you will, and I feel like as as they continue again this journey and they they have all these different things happen and they're they're having these really like serious conversations you can just see that the mood's starting to change and i think this is where like you really see like the the seriousness of what they're about to do and what they're about to see is finally starting to hit them and i think they do a great job when they actually find ray brower's uh body too to like have them all identify this internally and then like when they start talking about like hey like we should do something with this and like i think it's more of a like around like the idea of we need to respect what this is um but i i agree i think that this is a really big scene because it helps the that mood begin to to swing and make it much more heavy and and you see that they begin to change their it no longer is is a funny or fun thing to do to see this dead body it's become very very somber and yeah. real and one thing that i noticed was see chris wants to go back Vern agrees teddy doesn't and uh gordy yells stop it because they're just arguing you know i i had a thought i wonder if he i wonder if he ever saw his brother's body and or if they had oh, a yeah. closed casket right I had that thought when I saw this scene play out because he was in a car accident, 
So I wonder if at this point, I wonder if Gordy's actually wanting to see the dead body for closure, for closure right. with his brother. Okay, I think that's point. it. Because I think that's I right. Think he's because he's bound and determined to go. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that's gonna stop him. Yeah. And with the iconic scene with him and the gun, it's like he would kill Ace if Ace didn't back off. He was just that determined to protect him. Also, Ray mm-hmm. Brower's body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, no, that's a great point because that really ties everything in. I think throughout the movie with Gordy, I think being like the really the main driving character of this story not him his family yeah and his brother's death so yeah that's that's an amazing point yeah i never even thought about that yeah they're all there to reckon with death but he's done it before so you know it means more to him than it does to Mm -hmm. his friends yeah exactly and maybe that's why like chris wants to leave because he's like all of a sudden you know he's faced right. with that i'm going to see an actual dead body i don't mm-hmm. know if i want to do that now right mm-hmm. the adventure getting to here was just fine for me but then you know the ending is coming up and i don't know yeah. if i really can handle that you yeah. know and then Vern too you know he's just like well, i don't know i'll just go back with you mm-hmm. and then teddy doesn't even he probably hasn't even really contemplated what that's going to be right, right. yeah i don't yeah. feel like teddy has a lot of like introspection or self like no. reflection so <laughs> no. my suspicion is no. he has no idea what he's getting himself into no, exactly. <laughs> so you know. yeah so so is that so we got the argument find the body mm-hmm. we have the standoff with ace and this is kind of like leading to the end of the movie you know um I feel like that quiet walk home. Then I feel like then like they're kind of just splitting off. So what's like was like Teddy? You know they say the goodbyes to Teddy. They say the goodbyes to Vern. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get that final like goodbye between uh, Gordy and Chris. I love the ending to this too. Um, Specifically, yeah, I think like talking again, like that mood changes. I think that that's a great way of reflecting it and have it reflected in the movie. Um, But I think too, one of the things um, that I just really appreciate is this, this sentiment and this idea of like, like just so Chuck Palahniuk who wrote fight club, like he has this, this line single serving friend, and I've just always loved that and this idea of, like, people have friends that come and go and, like, it's for, like, a specific purpose or reason or, or time period. Um, in, in in the movie, they begin to talk about, like, we, like, our relationship with Vern and Teddy, like, we're never the same. Like, we, after, after middle school, like, we just stopped seeing them. Right. But Chris and I were friends till the end kind of a thing. Um, and I always thought that was really interesting because I just as, you know, a 30-something-year-old right now, like, I've absolutely absolutely seen that in every single one of its iterations of high school to college to one job to another job and it's just so interesting to see how how easy it is for people to come and go um, into your life but I know that that in the moment it is so meaningful and so powerful and so important and I think that they do a really good job of showing that in this movie of like these are the closest and the most like closest friends that you can have and it's very easy then for them to just go out of your life. Yeah, for me, like, coming back to this movie, I don't know if it's, like, after having kids, if this was, like, part of it, but ending on that line of, like, I never had any friends later on, like the ones I had when I was 12. 
Jesus does anyone. It's an amazing line. Yeah. Like, I was just watching on my phone. I, like, I had to pause it. It just was just like, whoa. Yeah. I was like, I don't know, but, like, I mean, I obviously wasn't going to have that feeling, that emotion, like, mm-hmm. when I was watching this as a child, but I think that just perfectly wraps up this movie. Like, it's just so perfect, great storytelling. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like myself can tell a story almost similar to this, and it's not because it's a great story, but the story is so great at telling, like, like it's almost like a, this is, like, the, I feel like it's the changing from being, like, a child to adolescence. So like mm-hmm. that's that tipping point where you start becoming like yeah. more adult. Yeah. Like we're kind of entering that adult world or whatever. It's like, you're, it's like you're becoming more self-aware. Yes. Mm-hmm. Without yes. the responsibilities yeah. of an adult yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, those kind of like coming, coming of age stories, like I'm a sucker for period. Like I know that <laughs> like about myself. Right. Like I just love that. But like, like where you, you have a group and they grow up too fast and it, what have you but that line alone i think just i would be surprised if if everyone like if there's somebody that can't relate to that line in some way um i just i i agree i think it is the perfect summation of the movie and i think one of the things that makes this movie so good is it's relatable so much of this movie is relatable Um, and I think, to me, that is just one of the, the shining moments. Um, so looking at IMDb for this movie, um, specifically the box office. So, again, this movie was released November 16th, 1986. It had a budget of around $8 million. It ended up grossing um, $52 million, uh, domestically, so... In its entire run, it grossed fifty-two million. The opening weekend, it grossed two hundred and forty-two thousand. So, it's not bad. And knowing that a budget of eight million, and they ended up grossing fifty-two, and it's, yeah. it still continues to make yeah. money. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. they have to still be getting royalties. <laughs> I mean this is still. Yeah, I just bought a Blu-ray copy of it. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean right there. Oh, the song, Stand By Me. Yeah. It's originally called oh, yeah. The Body. Yep. So the song, uh, they knew they were going to use the song in the movie, and they decided, they were, you know, Rob Reiner and company producers, they decided to use the title. No. Oh. And uh, one one uh, quick fact about the song, a couple facts, actually. Uh, Benny King is the one that wrote it, sung it, it went to number one in 1960. Oh. And when this was, when they used it in the movie, the same song went to number one again and 25 years later. It's the only song that's ever done that. Wow. Wow. Going back to that Barfarama yeah. scene. Um, so I'm oh, just yeah. reading here. Uh, <laughs> in the Barfarama scene, all of the actors vomit up blueberries just like Lardass and the other contestants in the 
uh, pie eating contest. However, nobody in the audience, at least from what is shown, ate any blueberries. <laughs> However, this is a silly story which Gordy is imagining, and he hasn't um, hasn't got everything right in his mind. So I never thought about that. That everyone yeah, in the yeah. everyone right. in the, that's in the that's audience brilliant. is, is also my mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. blueberries. Yeah, they're not a part of this. <laughs> so that's actually that's kind of good. That's I like that. That's funny. Okay, before I close it out, just want to go over some a uh, little bit of roundtable here in the movie. Uh, just some questions we kind of all had, had here together posed. Um, so let's go with number question number one. Uh, which kid does each host relate to most, and why? I relate to uh, Vern. <laughs> I'm Vern, <laughs> <You're> Vern. <laughs> so, and the reason why I I feel uh, I relate to Vern most is uh, sometimes I do. I am more quiet. I have a hard time, you know, sometimes people won't listen to me. I know that, but, and you know, it's, but I try to engage, you know, and do things like that. But, uh, you know, I'm not Chris. I'm not cool. Gordy. Yeah. He's pretty smart, you know, and <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm definitely not Teddy. <laughs> so, and you guys all appreciate that. I'm sure. <laughs> but, yeah. All right. How about you, Jamie? Um, well, I, I kind of talked about it, um, in the main show, but I, yeah, I would say Gordy probably just the writer observations. All right. I, I dig it. What you, Chris? Yeah, I would probably, yeah, I would probably say Vern. Um, I think he doesn't get his credit. I think that he's not always taken very seriously. Um, and that, that's really interesting. It seems um, like he's kind of always vying for, like, the the affection of, like, his brother and, like, wants to, and, like, the affection of others. So, yeah, I would probably say Vern as well. Yeah, I would go with Vern, too. And I hadn't really thought about that until just going around the table here listening to you guys and just really thinking about it. But, yeah, the whole, like, kind of, I just, sometimes just the whole, like, just wanting everybody to like you and love you for who you are. I definitely... At a moment, I thought maybe a little a characteristics of each of the characters, but yeah, definitely Vern. When I get down to the nitty gritty, yeah. Bullying, then versus now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very evident that there's not, like, clearly there's not technology <laughs> at this point, so um, everything happens a little bit more in your face and direct, and with a lot more transparency. I think right now you you look at things with cyberbullying and being online and social media and how easy it is to bully and number one be anonymous which at the time that this um this movie was done clearly there's it's very difficult to be anonymous unless you're maybe writing a letter but then i feel like you kind of missed the mark anyways <laughs> right like but i feel like um yeah i feel like it's really interesting um in that regard i also don't feel like I, I experienced a lot of bullying in my high school, so it's hard for me to, to directly speak to it. Um, but I think the biggest thing I see is just like the that there's not a use of technology that you're you're seeing them. It is much more aggressive and in, in your face, and they take ownership of the things they do and say. Yeah, Go ahead, um, yeah, I think Chris, you really hit it. Uh, I think it's um, now it'll follow you everywhere if you let it versus then you can, if you're fast, you can run away from the kid who's trying to beat the crap out of you. And I also wonder too, if it's not, um, more 
psychological now than it was back then you know then it was very physical confrontational because that's you know ace jumping gordy and chris in front of the or in main street and taking his hat and now it's um you know i'm just gonna dm you until you cry (laughs) into your sheets at home Mm -hmm. and it's that's almost more sinister in a way too it's just you know harder i would imagine to disconnect and disengage I guess I yeah much the I don't really have much to add. Yeah, really. yeah. I only thought I really because thought. I only I have only experienced the the old school way right versus yeah yeah pretty much same here like I haven't really experienced like any kind of cyber bullying but I just feel like I just, first thing I kind of thought about was like the idea now is you could just kind of throw something out into the ether and turn away and not really have any, you know, doesn't really have repercussions for it. Yeah. But what's out there can, like, can be focused on one person or many different people versus, like, back in the day, like, if you said something, you can immediately face retaliation for what you said. Like, when you're bowling, like, if it's that point when you back somebody into the corner and that's, that's, like, the moment, like, you know, you're going to face retaliation for that, so. I also like the idea that there's, like, there's that lack of anonymity in like yeah. back then too like right. you think of like the idea of like how like trolling is becoming such a huge thing right. with with the internet and not again, hiding behind like, a yeah you're hi- you're hiding behind a username yeah and like when you're bullying <laughs> like this sounds this is gonna sound stupid but there's like an honesty to it like, <laughs> right right, right, like, right there's like right. <laughs> there's something pure about yeah, right. it that you don't see oh. now <laughs> like uh, like Jamie, what you what you're saying is, yeah, you know, you can, uh, you know, back in the old days, it was uh, the bully would come up or whatever, you know, and you could just run away. I mean, it's that was it. That would be the confrontation. That's it. Or stand and you know, just like whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever happens. But yeah, you know, you're out on you know the the playground or whatever, you know. It's like that's it. But versus now, everyone can see it could be out yeah. there versus back then right. it was just like who was ever there at that yeah. moment mm-hmm. in the experience but yeah. yeah what would this movie look like today that's a good question because i mean the hollywood being as stupid as they are would be like oh we got four girls <laughs> stand by me you yeah. know too let's do it right it's like well no that's <laughs> no. you know not it but um like what would the story of four boys going out to find a dead body look like today yeah yeah that's a good question I don't know. Well, and they heard it from like, what would it be like? Uh, I'm trying to think of like the latest like weird meme. Momo, Momo, <laughs> they, Momo tweeted it out. Momo tweeted it, it was out. on a yeah. Momo video, right? <laughs> yeah. And they they don't know if it's true or not, but right. they're gonna go like out and they're gonna find this dead body because it was in this Momo like, yeah. YouTube video, right? That what then- would that's what it would be. Yeah, and then all the bullying in is going to come from uh, Snapchat. Right. Yeah. Right. There's no actual interaction between the bullies <laughs> and the kids. The entire conversation yeah. is just... It's so, Snapchat. like, they complete, you can completely remove, like, the ace in this gang. Like, they're never actually there. <laughs> yeah. Right, They just, right. like... They just send videos they, and... They see, like, a, they do a Snapchat when they get to the body. Then immediately they get bullied. Yeah. Like... Right. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> Well, that was my favorite part, too, is um, I, I remember they're talking about uh, around the fire. Um, you know, this is before girls when we didn't have anything else to talk about. And 
you know, cut to the bullies, like, giving themselves <laughs> razor blade tattoos. Yeah, it's like, yeah. you guys right. have nothing better to do? Right. Like, you don't have girlfriends? Right. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. That whose yard is that? Yeah, whose yard is <laughs> that? Right. Yeah. It's just yeah. full of junk. Apparently, Rob Reiner said in that area, they, you know, a lot of the houses, you know, were kind of like that. You know, they had oh, junk they, all over. And, that's our third car so. that we don't drive anymore. Yeah. 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 Just, just park it out in the back. Yeah. Then finally... Richard Dreyfus is credited as the writer, not as Gordy in the credits. Um, did the events in the film really happen, or did Dreyfus make them up? Any so, feelings on that? I love this idea. Like, <laughs> I read this question, um, and I just it just got me thinking. It, I think it's a really really neat idea. Ultimately, I would I would probably argue that the events in the film did happen just based on the final line. I mean, it is very like he has that moment, that pause to after he writes it where you can see him just reflecting on it. Um, And I mean, maybe one could argue like he's reflecting on how good this story is that he just made up. (laughs) Right. I think he could. But I think like I think he's reflecting on like like how like how much that line like. It, like how meaningful that line is to him as well and like that's that experience and again like do you ever have friends as close as you do when you're 12 like no you don't like but i i, I love i love this like this is such a great like conspiracy theory line it's so great because <laughs> after we had that conversation about this he posed this question yeah. And I went back and I rewatched it again. And from the very first scene when he's sitting in that truck, yeah. and he's like, he looks at the story in the paper and he sees the kids roll by. I was like, yes, he did just make up the story. Right? <laughs> yes. like the, that was like the beginning of it right there. Yeah. Regardless, <laughs> right. I, like, I like it. I, I'm so intrigued by this question. Because, like, absolutely. Like, I was right. just talking to um, to a friend who is a creative writer, and she's like, yeah, basically, I really. I really love history and I want to like do a a creative story and I'm just struggling to find out what. So what she wants to do is cut out um, like newspaper clippings and articles and just throw them in a hat and choose three and then try and tie them all together. (laughs) And like, that's like, that's what made. That's totally what conspiracy theory. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But like the idea of like, Oh, he just read that. He saw these kids. How do I like, how do I tie it together? I think that's uh, brilliant. All right. So for me, kind of final thoughts again, I love this movie. I think it is really well written. I think it is a really um, relatable movie. I love I love the last line. I think it's a great way to finish it and then going right into Stand By Me. Um, I know one of the things that I, I think that really that I really appreciate about the movie is the emotional feeling that I get every time I watch that ending. It is a very like visceral gut reaction of like, oh, jeez. Yeah, um, I just have a lot of Stephen King thoughts. Uh, I'm a huge fan. That was probably the first author I was monogamous with if that makes any sense i wanted to read all of his books <laughs> yeah and you know follow his writing and work in movies um and yeah i just wanted to point out too that um for big king heads they're in castle rock which has implications that we really don't have time for now but that's kind of the extended king verse you know it's Derry and castle rock those are two towns of his where a lot of his stories take place and um 
yeah, I think it's it's hard to pick a favorite movie that that's a King story, but this one's definitely up there, and it's stands out because it's different. Um, you know, it's not full horror. In fact, it's little to none, which is a good reminder that he can just write about people really, really well, and especially kids. You know, I I actually found myself thinking a lot about it during this movie. Um, and you know, just the way that grownups can be absent from people's lives, and there's there's almost a hint of evil there. It and it really explores that evil, whereas I think Stand by Me just explores the disconnect. And you know, both are heartbreaking in different ways. Um, but no, for me, this movie is damn near a masterpiece. I love it. I would say buy it, rent it, watch it as many times as you can, and it's a great film. I wholeheartedly agree. This movie is is a masterpiece. I. I the first time I watched this, it was uh, probably back in the late. It might have been nineteen eighty nine when it came out. I probably, probably watched it on VHS, and uh, there were certain things I enjoyed about it: the kids' adventure and this and that. And it was you know pretty crazy seeing the body. Now that I've seen it, now that I'm older, again, it's uh, there's so much more to this movie that I didn't see the first time. It just. I mean, I, I would say that this one is definitely one of the only timeless movies. It's uh, it's one that we could watch 100 years from now and still understand what's going on in it. All right. Some great points. Yeah. yeah, I just think this movie is timeless. I think if you haven't seen this movie, you have to see this movie. Again, I think like what Chris said, I think we've all had – had experiences similar to this, not necessarily in the journey, but as growing up, at a, becoming adolescents, like this is all something that should touch or strike a chord um, with you as a person. So, and this is just example of just great storytelling. So, and that concludes episode one of Movie Time Machines Looking to Stand By Me. If you have any likes or gripes, please drop us a message on Twitter at Movie Machine Pod. Again, that's at Movie Machine Pod. Thank you very much, and good day.